with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and Rivalry Week is here in college football. It is the final weekend of the regular season, which is crazy to think about, but you can tell we're starting to hit the home stretch here with bowl season just around the corner, and we begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to get the latest on what you need to know from around the country with an eye towards next April's NFL Draft. We'll discuss some of the top defensive linemen in the country, some sleepers you need to know more about, and a couple of these Senior Bowl acceptances as well. After Draft Buzz, we'll then transition to Scouting Report, where this week I'm going to break down a player who has accepted his invitation to the Senior Bowl. It's a local kid from Philadelphia who plays nearby at Delaware in safety, Nazir Adderley. He's an interesting guy for sure and one of the top small school prospects in the entire country, and I've watched him each of the past two seasons, so I'll share my notes on him in that segment. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week we've got the pleasure of welcoming in Brad Kelly from the Draft Network. Brad specializes in evaluating the wide receiver position. So we'll talk about some of the top pass catchers in the nation in that block of the show. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennel drops in to talk about his takeaways from College Park before jumping in to his thoughts on this week's trip. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag where I'll take a question from you guys out there and answer it here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week. So let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for the Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's time to welcome in my go-to source when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL Draft. That's Tony Pauline, the Draft Insider from DraftAnalyst.com. And Tony, let's begin things this week with a guy who has really, really helped himself this season in Mississippi State pass rusher Montez Sweat. He finished tied for the lead in sacks in the SEC a year ago, went back to school, and appears to have really boosted his stock with another strong uh, senior season. He's starting to see his name in the top 10, the top 5 of some mock drafts, but it's not universal. At this point, do you think he's a lock to be a first-round pick in April? From what I'm hearing, the answer is no. He's not a lock to be a first-round selection. There are some teams that have an early second-round grade on him, and they're afraid he's going to be a liability against the run. I mean, he's a great college pass rusher, but he's a tall, lanky guy at six foot uh, six inches, 245 pounds, and they wonder how is his frame going to hold up at the next level. Is he fast enough and agile enough to stand over tackle? And can he even get off blocks from tight ends? Uh, so that's that sort of concern that has some teams basically pushing him in the top of round two. Now, what's going to happen is he's got to show up in the postseason with a bit of a filled-out frame, which means he's going to have to be north of 265 pounds, and he's going to have to show put in some solid workouts, basically show that the added weight has not become cumbersome to his game. If he decides to play in the Senior Bowl, and I think he's going to get an, you know, he's going to get an invitation, and it would be a big mistake if he's healthy enough to play in the Senior Bowl, but bypasses the opportunity. The one-on-one passing, pass rushing drills, and his ability to get off blocks once engaged at the point of attack, and not just beat guys with the first step, is going to be closely watched. Yeah, he, he's a really interesting player because I think he he has a good idea of how he's using his hands. Uh, it will be interesting, though, because you mentioned the, 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 the bulk. I mean, he's listed 240. We'll see what he weighs in at in, uh, in Mobile. So, all right, Tony, we, we've talked a lot uh, about Boston College defensive lineman Zach Allen, who last year he was kind of the other guy opposite of Harold Landry. Well, now the other guy opposite of Zach Allen is Wyatt Ray, who – 
I've yet to study up to this point, but what are you hearing about this kid, Wyatt Ray? Yeah, I'm hearing people are under, underrating Ray, and he's going to get drafted. He's a little bit faster than Zach Allen, a little speedier off the edge, doesn't have the same body type, only goes about six foot three, 253 pounds, so you're wondering, is he a defensive end? Is he a, uh, is he a stand-up over tackle pass rusher? Really doesn't have the body type to hold up as a three-down lineman. Nine sacks this season, which is more than Allen as well as 11 tackles for loss and five quarterback hurries. Now, some of those stats, those are good numbers, but Allen's presence on the line, you know, absolutely helps a right way. But what I'm hearing is, is you know, don't be surprised if he receives an invitation to the combine. Don't be surprised if he gets uh, selected in the late rounds of the draft, which no one is talking about. And I, I really believe that Ray is going to end up as a, on the roster as a pass-rushing specialist at the next level, either out of a three-point stance and sort of a one-gap type of scheme, or even standing up over tackle and be a special teams player. He has that type of mentality. doesn't have the athleticism or the upside of, of uh, Zach Allen, which is why Allen's going to be a first-round pick. But, but from what I'm hearing, and, and even from what I see, uh, Ray is a guy who you know is under the radar, late-round pick, could, could be a producer as a situational defender at the next level. Very interesting. Well, let's go out west, Tony, and talk about another player who's getting a little bit overshadowed by perhaps a better prospect with senior corner uh, Jordan Miller from Washington. We've heard a lot about the redshirt sophomore Byron Murphy as a potential first-round pick, but tell us why we should be excited about Miller as well. Well, primarily because he's starting to finally recover from the gruesome leg injury that sidelined him in October of last year. Just a little historical perspective. Miller was playing as good as any defensive back at Washington through the first half of the 2017 season before fracturing his leg against uh, Arizona State. Ironically, it was that same game that Trey Adams tore a knee ligament and had his season come to a screeching halt. Now, if you look at the early part of the 2017 film, Miller looked like a legitimate second-round choice, but I'm told the injury, which included some minor nerve damage, really set him back. Now, people have compared the injury to the one suffered by Marcus Mariota in 2016, and it's something that could take up to 18 months before a guy gets back to full speed. They can still play with it, but they're not at 100%. Miller was off to a, got off to a slow start this season. He's getting better. Little by little, his playing is getting better, and he's getting back to old form. Everyone talks about Byron Murphy, who we've spoken about on this podcast uh, in the past. He's expected to enter the draft, uh, Murphy, and he's going to be probably a bottom half of round one pick. But when you speak to uh, scouts, they, they speak highly of Miller. They know what the situation is. They know where he was and how he's coming back. And if he slides out of the top 100 selections next April, he's going to be an absolute steal because he has starting potential. Tony, let's talk a little bit about some of these senior bowl acceptances because we're starting to see some of these names start to pour out. The players are announcing them, the coaches and their, the schools are announcing them, and the, the senior bowl executive director, Jim Nagy, is starting to announce some of these names as well. Uh, last week on the show, I broke down Terrell Hanks, the linebacker from New Mexico State. Is there a name or two from the list of acceptances so far that has you really excited? You know, So far, the list includes Hanks, uh, Nazir Adderley, the safety from Delaware, Foster Moreau, the tight end from LSU. Josh Allen, the pass rusher from Kentucky, Isaiah Houston, or Isaiah Johnson, the corner from Houston, John Kaminsky, a D2 player from Charleston and West Virginia, Charles Omenahu, the pass rusher from Texas, and then Jalen Moore, the running back, running back from Appalachian State. Any of those names really kind of get you uh, excited? Well, they all do, but if 
if I was going to pick out two, it would be the two small school guys because really this is a big stage for some of those guys. And as we've seen in the past with the Joe Flacco's and, and last year the Nate Shepherds, I mean, this is an opportunity for them to, to really stand out and show that they have next-level abilities. So I'll start with Adderley, the defensive back to safety from uh, – from Delaware. I mean, on film, he's an explosive run defender. He hits like a loaded dynamite. He has a nice build. He's got an excellent head for the ball. Shows a great burst and an overall quickness in his game. He's not bad in coverage. I mean, he's posted four interceptions this season after five a year ago, but he's more opportunistic than great than uh, having great ball skills. Now, covering the pass at safety on a one double A level is completely different from what we'll see during senior bowl practices especially in those one-on-one. So we'll be able to see how smooth and quick Adderley is in transition. Can he flip his hips off the line? Can he find the ball in the air? Does he do a lot of face guarding? He's a tremendous run defender. We know that about him. We want to see how he makes plays against the ball when he's going against top competition. So I'm really excited to see Adderley. And then obviously be Kaminsky from University of Charleston in West Virginia. He's a tall, athletic guy. He runs incredibly well. He looks almost like a power forward on the football field. And, you know, he could well be this year's version of Nate Shepard, the player I mentioned before who built a buzz for him in last year's Senior Bowl despite being limited to just a single practice after suffering an ankle injury. I mean, Comiskey's got – Comiskey, he's going to look very impressive during weigh-ins. He's going to look very impressive during warm-ups. Again, sort of like Adderley, when he's in those one-on-one situations against probably the Mitch Hyatts and, and the top senior tackles, have to see if he's able to translate that athleticism into football ability. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that I'm just really excited to see, and this initial list is really, really intriguing. But, uh, Tony, let's move on to our prospect preview this this week. It's it's going to be a huge weekend in college football, a lot of big rivalry games, and we're going to look at one of the biggest ones, Michigan against Ohio State. Who are the prospects you're excited to see in this one? Yeah, a big, big-time rivalry weekend. You know, the, the funny thing with the uh, uh, Michigan-Ohio uh, State game, it's sort of the opposite of what we thought, thought before the season. For the season, Kalike Hudson, the sort of viper back, half safety, half, uh, half uh, linebacker from Michigan, I mean, he was the guy that coaches were raving about, and they were saying that he was the second-best pro prospect after Rashawn Gary. Hasn't turned out that way. Devin Bush is the guy who's really stepped up, and Devin Bush is the player who's getting first-round mention now. Sort of the same situation with uh, Ohio State, although it's, it's a year removed, in the sense that Mike Weber, when he was a freshman, looked like a legitimate top 100 pro prospect, in came J.K. Dobbins, took Weber's job away, and really has stolen his thunder. Although Weber, as we spoke about last week, whenever he's asked to hold, uh, carry the rock and be the feature runner uh, for Ohio State, he's gotten the job done. Uh, has, 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 I believe, a minor leg injury, but he's going to play. I want to see how Bush and Kalike Hudson do, do just not only against the run and stopping Weber and Dobbins, but are they used in pass coverage at all? Bush is more of a two-down run defender. Kalike Hudson's a guy you can drop off the line, line and put him into space. You know, the Ohio State uh, receiving core is absolutely explosive. They really improved their game this year. Uh, uh, Paris Campbell is a guy that's having a terrific season. Came into the, came into the year graded as a top 45 pick. I think he's met expectations. Uh, it just goes down the list. So I want to see specifically – with the uh, Ohio, with the Michigan linebackers and Devin Bush and Kalike Hudson, you know, can they cover? Can they get any depth on their pass drops? And with Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins, we know they're excellent ball carriers. Weber is uh, draft eligible. Dobbins is not. But 
are they used as receivers out of the backfield? Because if those Ohio State uh, wideouts uh, stretch the field, it would make good sense to put a guy like Weber or, or Dobbins in underneath coverage and, and man him up against Bush or Kalike Hudson uh, you know, to pick up uh, six or seven yards on first down. Tony, let's wrap things up here with our mock draft roundup where uh, we're going to go to CBS. Chris Trapasso put out a, a new mock draft, and he had the Eagles at 13th overall, selecting Ole Miss left tackle Greg Little, a player I'm pretty sure you're high on. How do you like Greg Little there in that spot? I, I think it would be an absolute steal. I think it's a good fit. Uh, I don't think Little has had the year that people expected him. And as I've stated before, there was some concern as to whether or not he's going to stay at left tackle. I think uh, Little is expected to enter the draft. I think he's going to test well. It's a question of where do uh, teams feel he fits at the next level. But again, you know, this is the last time uh, somebody had an offensive tackle uh, in their mock first draft. It was the kid from Wisconsin. And Little is sort of similar in the sense that he's the type of offensive tackle that the Eagles like, can play multiple spots, can play left or right side. He's fundamentally sound. Uh, sometimes he seems to play a little bit back on his heels, but if Greg Little falls to the 13th pick, assuming the Eagles have that 13th selection, I think that that would be a terrific pickup for them. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see you know where Little does end up going in this draft. Tony, we thank you again, as always, for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving, my man. Thanks, and happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners. Great stuff from Tony, who you can follow on Twitter, at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me, at FDuffy3 on Twitter. That's why I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content, whatever NFL draft content you're looking for, they'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things going here. I teased earlier that I would break down Delaware safety Nazir Adderley, one of the first names on the list of acceptances to this this year's Senior Bowl. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Nazir Adderley, six foot, two hundred pounds. This is a small school kid from Delaware who was generating some buzz over the summer, but has really begun to pick up steam in the media lately. I know there are a lot of people out there who have written about Adderley lately, and that will continue with him going to Mobile. I know my friend Dane Brugler wrote a pretty in-depth piece on him for the Athletic a couple weeks ago, so you can go check that out. Adderley. He's a Philly kid. He went to Great Valley High School in Malvern. He went on to become a four-year starter for the Blue Hens, and this kid has great bloodlines. His cousin is NFL Hall of Famer Herb Adderley, who was an all-pro who spent his NFL career with the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. He won three Super Bowls over his career. So if you're an older fan or someone who just appreciates history, you'll know plenty about Herb Adderley. Now, for Nazir, here's what I saw from him on film. Like I said, he's a four-year starter in the secondary for Del- in Delaware's 3-4 scheme. His second as the boundary safety after starting his career at corner for the first two years. So he's got two two years at safety, two years at corner, typically lined up to the short side of the field and spent most of his time as a post player in the middle of the field or some reps at quarters in quarters coverage or in man coverage over the number three receiver, but mostly as a single high player. In their dime package, he did slide down and play the slot as well. So you do see some positional versatility with him. Obviously, that corner background certainly comes into play. He's got below average height for, this, for a safety, and he's got a little bit of an under. under underdeveloped frame. He is a guy who I think will benefit greatly from an NFL weight program. Uh, He's a pretty good athlete, though. Fluid hips, the ability to turn and run with ease. He changes direction 
pretty well. Overall, he's pretty natural in space. He looks comfortable in his pedal. He's able to get good depth quickly in zone coverage. And when he's in man, he displays pretty good route recognition skills. The ability to mirror receivers at the top of route breaks. He'll jump throws from off coverage, as well as when he's a center fielder, where he's pretty good. He's got pretty good range thanks to his ability to read the quarterback. He did have some drops at the catch point with interceptions, but overall, I thought he played the ball fairly well, and he flashes a competitive streak playing in coverage. Now, from a negative standpoint, Look, like I said, he's kind of new to the safety spot. He did play it a little bit in high school, but there were times where I thought he was a little bit slow to key run pass at the snap of the ball, and he does get held up at times by some play-action fakes and some mesh points in the backfield. He d- One thing, too, is he lacks a truly explosive element to his game. I think he's kind of a one-speed guy, doesn't have that much juice off the hash marks, and size certainly could be an issue for him in the run game at the NFL level. His tac- technique as a tackler did improve this year, but he's still a little bit undersized, obviously, and at times he'll just duck his head. So he's got to just improve with his tackling moving on to the NFL level because you need to be able to defend the run as a safety. And I think, honestly, at his ceiling, Adderley could be a good starting free safety where he can play in the post, he can play in space. That's him at his best. The question I do have with him is just as a run defender, as a tackler, like we mentioned, that will turn some teams off, I think. But I think he's got a high floor. He's got a long, I think at the very least, He's a longtime backup who will play special teams and offer value in sub package. I do think he's going to stick in this league for a long time. And the interview process is going to go a long way towards helping his stock and how teams ultimately view him long term. If he can go and ace the interview process and show you know, his FBI and his ability to handle a heavy workload and then also just get a little bit bigger, I think teams will feel a little bit better about him going up against the run, being able to handle being a three-down player. So that's how I viewed Nazir Adderley. Again, one of the initial announcements for the Senior Bowl in January. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Brad Kelly from the Draft Network on Mr. Relevant this week to talk about some of the top wide receivers in this senior class. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Pleased to be joined this week on the show by Brad Kelly from the Draft Network. You can follow Brad on Twitter at BradKelly17. He does a lot of work detailing the play of wide receivers both in college and in the NFL. He also, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brad, you evaluate the Big 12 Conference for the Draft Network too. Is that right? That's right, yep. All right, well, let's start in that conference, Brad, because obviously with all the passing in that league, there are some receivers that put up just crazy, ridiculous numbers. So let's start with a guy that I think is a little bit polarizing at this point in the process. There are some out there that really love David Sills from West Virginia, what he brings to the table. Some see him as more of a late-round pick. Where do you stand on Sills, and what does he bring to the NFL? I think I agree with the evaluation that he's more of a late-round type of pick. Um, Some of the things he does well, he – he has flashes of, of this type of body control above the rim type of ability, um, and, and he's all, he obviously puts up a lot of production in West Virginia's offense. Uh, a lot of production down the field. He has great chemistry with Will Greer. Uh, he's a pretty slippery runner, uh, despite being kind of built upright. Um, but while watching, I think you see that a lot of his production comes from being schemed open. He comes from a lot of RPOs, uh, maybe selling blocks and then snapping into his routes. Um, a lot of quick screens, hitches, that type of stuff. So his, his route tree is limited, and even in his route running, his break kind of can hop into him, um, maybe lean into him and sell, uh, kind of telegraph what, what he's doing. Um, so I think as far as his athleticism goes, it's a little bit limited. I think his hands are a little inconsistent. I think that all that stuff combined, I think it's great college receiver. It's great for what West Virginia asked on him. But looking in the NFL, I just don't think he has that, like, 
elite athleticism. I don't think he's going to win above the rim all the time in the NFL. And that limited route here will likely come back to bite him as he, there's going to be a little bit more of a transition for him. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that's a classic case of ball skills versus hands because I agree with you. His hands are a little bit inconsistent, but I was pretty impressed with how naturally he played the ball in the air. Obviously, a lot that he's got to work on before moving on to the NFL from a technical standpoint, uh, playing the wide receiver position. One more Big 12 player that I think is just really interesting, and I'm not quite sure yet where he plays in the NFL, and that's Jalen Hurd from Baylor, former All-SEC running back from Tennessee. He transferred to Baylor, uh, made the transition to wide receiver under my friend Matt Rule. He's a big-bodied kid. He plays exclusively in the slot there based off what I've seen so far. Have you watched Hurd? What do you think is his best fit in the NFL? Yeah, so I have watched Hurd. And like you said, he's a big body, very long. Uh, been playing in the slot. and found to play running back. I went to Baylor and really wanted to, to transition to receiver to kind of save his body. Um, not necessarily take the, all the hits, but have asked him in spots to play running back. Um, when they really needed it, when they really needed big plays. I think he's up to like 50 rushes on the season already. Uh, but I think in the next level, he is going to be more of a wide receiver who can be used um, as a little bit of a dynamic piece in the backfield. Maybe not unlike how the Patriots used Cordero Patterson this season, um, spots in the backfield, and then also you're going to see him on end rounds, on jet sweeps, um, quick screens, and that type of thing because he has so much ability with the ball. Technically, he does have some things to work with as a receiver, but there's definitely also things to work on. You can see it all the way at the start of the stance. There are, there are some issues. Um, it takes a long time to get in and out of it. But then there are, there are points in the game where they'll, they'll jump ball up to him because he has that length in, in the red zone, and, and he can win above the rim. So his, his talent's definitely there. Um, I think that, that Patterson type of role for him is what his future will be at the next level. Yeah, he's just one of those guys that I feel like, you know, you get him in with a creative offensive mind and they'll just find different ways to be able to get him the football. And I feel like we've always kind of said that about certain players, that, you know, over the course of the past few years. But I think now with today's NFL where you're seeing guys, you know, like, like a Taysom Hill who Eagles fans just saw with New Orleans or, you know, obviously Tyree Kill. You mentioned Cordaro Patterson. And there are a lot of players all over the league that are wearing so many different hats. They're lining up all over the place. And I think that's what makes a player like Jalen Hurd really intriguing. I think, honestly, that's what would make a guy like Debo Samuel really interesting. Let's get to the SEC with Debo with South Carolina. I'm interested in your take on him because uh, he's a guy that really, really piques my interest. You know, a little bit undersized from a height and length standpoint, but really thick. He is built like a back. I want to get your thoughts on what makes him special. How do you think he wins in the NFL ultimately? So I was very high on him coming into the season, um, just based off the limited film he had last year. Um, and the, the reason for that being in three games last year, he had three receiving touchdowns. Um, going going this year, he had 17 rushes and already had seven rush touchdowns, and he already had three kick return touchdowns. So it was just a guy who was very explosive, obviously very good space player, um, elusive, that I thought going into the year he could continue to build on that. And I think injuries have kind of slowed him down. His quarterback play has been a little inconsistent. But you do see some very good route running out of him because of that explosiveness. He's very efficient in how he breaks, and he uses his upper body very well. He's, like you said, he's built like a back. He's strong in the upper body, and I think he uses that type of physicality, um, like those hard hand chops, and he's able to separate because of that. So I think as long as he's able to stay healthy, that you'll be able to see him progress as a route runner and also use that elusiveness in space um, and that, that explosiveness to be able to pick up yards after the catch. 
Yeah, he's a really, really interesting guy. And honestly, he's going to have one of the more interesting uh, pre-draft processes. Because I agree with you. I felt the same way. I was really, really high on him coming into the year. I think just some of that giddy-up that we saw a year ago, maybe just missing, especially early on this year, I thought it, it took him a little bit of time to really get fully healthy. And I'm not even quite sure that he's all the way there yet. But he is a, a big, thick kid, not just in the upper body, lower body too. I mean, you, you just don't see receivers – built like him in the lower half. So he's going to be a really, really fun player to study throughout the course of the process. So let's stay in the SEC. And I want to ask you about a guy who I last watched over the summer. And honestly, I didn't have really high expectations going into my film work. But when I walked away, I felt really impressed by him. And that's Demarcus Lodge from Ole Miss. That's a talented receiving core down there now. A couple intriguing underclassmen in that room. But tell us why you like Lodge as much as you do. Right. So a lot like what you said, I went into it assuming that he was like their number three type of receiver. And I came out of it thinking, like, this guy could be a number one in the NFL. Um, he's he's well-built. He's not huge. He's not as big as A.J. Brown. He's not as big as A.J. Brown. He's not as tall and as, and as broad as D.K. Metcalf. So I think the natural assumption is, you know, his his uh, his ceiling is lower. And while that's fair, he's also the most polished of them. He's the most refined. His routes are the best of all of them at the moment. Um, his breaks are more crisp. Um, he's more fluid as a runner, as a route runner, more efficient. And then on top of that, his body control and the, the, the way he can make plays along the boundary is just a weapon. Um, and that's catching the ball, that's tiptoeing the sideline, um, that's you know, picking up yards after the catch. And then, though he has some inconsistencies with his hands, his ability to get two passes above the rim, through defensive back, along the sideline, is just, like, I probably might be the best in the class. So while his hands might be inconsistent, he's also getting to passes that other receivers can't even dream of getting. So it's a guy who, who I think has everything at 6'2", 200, so he has good size, good athleticism. Um, he releases against coverage extremely well. No one can even touch him. He's very sudden. Um, and I think that he's just an all-around receiver who projects as maybe a perfect number two, but maybe also a low one, number one receiver for an NFL team. Yeah, and he's got that vertical ability, too, the ability to get deep and, and work down the field. And it, really good off the line of scrimmage against press coverage. I thought he was one of the better guys I watched off the line of scrimmage over the course of last summer, too. He is a really intriguing player. Uh, and one guy that I, I watched recently, mainly because of how you and others have talked about him on Twitter, is Fresno State's Keyshawn Johnson. And i got to tell you, I really, really liked him. I watched two or three games from this year, um, so there's still a lot to get through. I'm excited to see him in person. I'm assuming he'll be down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. But honestly, I think he's one of the best seniors in this class at the wide receiver position. Do you kind of see him the same way? Yeah, I, I definitely think, especially among the seniors. Um, the thing about Keyshawn Johnson, and it's K-E-E-S-E-A-N, <laughs> not like the, you know, the old Keyshawn, uh, but he, he's definitely different of a player uh, from the old Keyshawn Johnson. But the thing about him is he just catches everything. He's a vacuum. Uh, I've, I've studied a little bit more, and I still don't think I've seen him drop a pass yet. Um, and then on top of that, he's just a very smooth, like flexible player. He's another guy who's not he's not that big, uh, but he has that that ability, that flexibility, the fluidity, um, and then that little bit something more that I see with him is he really uses his hands well on the top of the route. He can use his hands to separate um, defensive backs have a hard time getting their hands on him, um, and then he just keeps catching everything. He's, he's an intense player. He definitely plays with an edge. Uh, you'll see him working through tackles, staying upright, just his legs just turning. So there's a lot to like about his game. And I don't think he has many weaknesses. All right, Brad, let's wrap this up with one final question. And I want a sleeper. I, I want a guy that not enough people are talking about that you feel deserves more hype at the wide receiver position right now in this class. 
So I'm going to go to the FCS, and not only to the FCS, I'm going to go to a 5'8", 175-pound receiver from the FCS from Stanford named Kelvin McKnight. Um, he had, as a sophomore, he had 13 receptions, 115 yards, and a touchdown against Mississippi State. The year before, he had 7 for 58 and a touchdown against Georgia. And this year, again, Florida State, he had, like, 200 yards and two touchdowns. He was something like that. He was behind their defense the entire season. Um, he's former conference freshman player of the year. He's small, but he's explosive. He's Like I said, he's always great behind the defense. He's, he's always vertically he's there. Body control is there, even if he's undersized. And another thing about him uh, that's similar to Keyshawn Johnson, he's just, he's just catching everything. Um, he's beating these FBS defensive backs like there's nothing. His separation quickness, his short area quickness is, is awesome. He's going to be a slot because he's undersized. But I think that he's a guy who we could see him in Mobile at the Senior Bowl or we could see him at the Combine, but he's going to turn heads eventually despite his lack of, uh, lack of size. Well, that's why I asked, man, because I literally knew nothing about Kevin McKnight. I knew the name, but certainly had not done any film work on him. Excited to dig into him in the future. Brad, thanks so much for joining us again. You can check Brad out on Twitter at BradKelly17 and check out all of his great content over at the Draft Network with all those guys. We've had a lot of those guys on the show here so far this college football season. Brad, we'll talk to you again soon, my man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great stuff, as expected there, from Brad Kelly. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and you head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us that rating, even leave us a comment. And I wanted to give a listener some love here. But we didn't get one single new comment in our channels this week. Come on, people. This is the time where the pre-draft process is on the horizon. We've got Senior Bowl acceptances. All the other All-Star games are starting to announce these names. We're almost there to this pre-draft process. So if you're listening to this show, if you're no matter who you're a fan of NFL-wise, just go give us a rating, give us a comment, leave it on there, and help get, boost the show, help spread awareness about the show. That being said, last week, Brian Wharton did jump on and asked a question on that uh, on our Apple Podcast channel, asked why no one from the University of Charlotte was getting any love yet. And I told you, the only one I knew out of that program this year was the offensive lineman, Nate Davis. Lo and behold, he was announced this week with the first round of Senior Bowl acceptances. So good question, Brian, in terms of bringing up the, the University of Charlotte. At some point, I'm going to be watching uh, this kid, Nate Davis. Haven't gotten to him yet, but Brian, appreciate that. Uh, and again, anyone else out there, if you're able to go jump on, give us, the, give us that rating, give us a comment, uh, give us some juice there, wherever you listen to the show. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennell and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this week in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennell, who you can all follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Ben, let's get things started here with Maryland-Ohio State, one of the more entertaining games from the college football weekend. I think a lot of people thought, uh, you know, this is going to be a boring weekend of college football, Cupcake Saturday. You guys had one of the biggest games and certainly one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. Yeah, it was a perfect storm of, you know, a... A hot team like Ohio State up against the ropes early in combination with it just wasn't a sexy schedule game. So you're either watching our game, you're watching Alabama Citadel or, you know, the likes of Florida, Idaho or one of those games. So, you know, Ohio State pulled it out 52-51, a lot like that Monday night game a couple days ago, 54-51. 
Uh, but he had everything. He had explosive plays in the run in the pass game. Ohio State up against the ropes immediately. He had a kickoff recovered earlier, a fake punt, turnovers, pick sixes, overtime, a two-point conversion to win the game. I feel like we just had everything in the game. And you didn't have to go far. Exactly. Yeah, no, down so in College Park, which is a beautiful campus, it beautiful is. college atmosphere. Yeah, I've been down there a couple times. It's very nice down there. Uh, all right, let's start with what you <laughs> saw in the game. and Let's start on the Ohio State side with uh, those two running backs and really J.K. Dobbins, the true sophomore, so he's not draft eligible uh, yet this year. But what did you see from him? And also, let me have, I'll follow it up, too, really quick. Uh, the junior, Mike Weber, was there anything? there as well but I think it was mostly Dobbins in this game yeah so this game took a different uh feel than our opener we did the Ohio State Oregon game where Mike Weber took a majority of the carries and had a really nice game on the ground I think he had close to 200 yards but this game Mike Weber was not fully healthy so J.K. Dobbins had to carry most of the load 37 carries 200 plus yards and just kind of wonder Ohio State you don't have any other running backs to work in back there with J.K. Dobbins you don't have any other four or five star freshman or sophomore that could take a little bit of the load off of J.K. Dobbins I just feel like he just got pounded the 37 carries the 200 yards but there's all the work he did away from the ball the pass protection Mm -hmm. anytime they're running jet sweeps to Paris Campbell he's probably the one lead blocking on those yeah he gets crushed on zone reads where you know the quarterback's going to read the unblocked defensive end if the end crashes on the running back which Dwayne Haskins made the right read on several plays scored a touchdown but the running back is getting absolutely demolished in the fourth quarter you just saw Dobbins was completely out of gas yeah it's it was a game I didn't turn it on until like midway through the fourth quarter I was doing you know being a good husband this weekend um but by the time I turned it on like you can kind of tell like he was out of gas like Haskins kind of had to put the team on his back and really carry it but you look on the other side uh the running back Anthony McFarland who I also believe is not draft eligible no uh, also had a big day yes he did uh so senior Ty Johnson was not fully healthy did come out in warm-ups did have his pads on the first half actually took him off at halftime and wasn't available in the second Mm -hmm. half was really a non-factor but this Anthony McFarland, he's a redshirt freshman. He's a local kid from DeMatha High School down in Maryland. Brian Westbrook, also sure. an alum of there. 21 carries, just under 300 yards, big runs, 81-yard run, 75-yard run. This kid's got home run speed. He's a breakaway running back. But the safety play of Ohio State was absolutely horrendous. On the 81-yarder, it was just a crack replace off jet motion. Mm. I don't know if it's on the corner or on the safety or what they're coaching out there. Regardless, the corner carries the jet. The safety gets caught in the middle of the field. 80 yards out the gate. Later on, just an outside zone play. The safety's making contact at six, six yards. Safety Brandon White, missed tackle, 75-yard touchdown. So I like putting a lot of emphasis on those safety tackling. If you make the tackle, it's a seven-yard run. You miss the tackle, it's a 75-yard touchdown. So the safety play contributes a lot to the success of the running back, but Anthony McFarlane, definitely an interesting running back. Well, this segues perfectly because you talk about safety play on one side. Let's go to the other safety uh, for Maryland in uh, Darnell Savage. You talked about him last week on the show. Uh, Dane Brugler has brought him up in the past. I know you guys have talked about him on Twitter. I don't. I knew nothing about the kid, and I know that he was pop, he popped up all over the place. And I had a couple of big plays here in this game. What did you see from him in person? Yeah, Dane had mentioned him in the summer, just saying he wasn't on a lot of radars, but somebody to definitely watch. I think PFF this past week. I'm not sure if it was slot coverage or safety coverage, but okay. he was their number one cover uh, safety or slot player in the country. And you saw a little bit more of that this past week, you know, guarding tight ends and number three, guarding slot receivers, great red zone coverage. I don't know what he's going to do for you in the run game or his ability to, you know, really lay the wood. He's not a big kid. He's only about 5'9", 5'10", just over 200 pounds. So he fits the mold of all those players that came out last year, the Justin Reeds, the Dane Cruishanks, the MJ Stewarts, those guys that are kind of -of jack-of-all-trades, but you really weren't masters of anything. 
but they're just really solid football players, and I really like Darnell Savage. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to study him because, you know, obviously you and Dane and others <clears throat> uh, have spoken really highly of him, and I, I respect all your guys' opinions, so I'm excited to dig into his film. So uh, let's get into some of the superlatives here. What's your one-play takeaway from Ohio State versus Maryland? My one-play takeaway will go back to Darnell Savage, and there was a play that led to a pick six early in the second half as Ohio State was trying to claw back. Uh, Darnell Savage was in zone coverage. He started deep, came down to play the curl, read number three, the tight end, then expanded out to number two. The quarterback tried to hit number two on a stick. Savage just expanded in time, got his hand right into the passing lane, tipped the ball up, pick six. So nothing that will go down in the stat sheet for Savage, but he obviously made the play. Yeah, very similar. If you're an Eagles fan, you watched the Eagles-Giants game back in week six, the play that Jordan Hicks made uh, that set up Kamagruje Hill's interception. Very similar kind of play. He also uh, had a, a PBU on a stick knot in the red zone. That was beautiful. I was kind of deciding between the two of those, but just great coverage instincts. On did the tight plays. end sell the, uh, the the nod well? He did sell it really well. He was patient. I hate the tight ends that, <laughs> that rush that stick knot. It's a very patient it's route. You got to wait on it. Yep, he sold it really well and actually got the underneath defender to bite hard on the right. out route, but Savage was playing over the top, was patient against the patient patient route and broke it up at the catch point nice all right well let's get to uh the next category that's the off the bus guy who was most impressive physically pregame for either team the guy that you want to see walking first off the bus if you're the home team yeah we talked about this guy last week a lot senior left tackle derwin gray man he walked past me in warm-ups this guy's arms are absolutely enormous they are long and thick i kid you not i think his bicep is as big as my my quad and my thigh just huge, huge arms, long arms. He's a good-looking player. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to hang off the edge in the NFL. I don't okay. know if he has the athleticism or the foot speed, but he's just a mauling tackle. That's just a big, big, tall glass of water. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So, you know, I know watching him on film, he looked a little sloppy. I, I liked him. He looked like he moved better, when I, at least from my memory, back watching him in the summer than what you and I saw last week on film. But did you kind of get a better feel from seeing him in person? Yeah, a little bit. I want to see him go up against Nick Bosa. And you also have to sure. remember, the Maryland quarterback threw the ball 13 times. Yeah, that's a good So you point. didn't see a whole lot of pass protecting. They got after him in the run game a lot of bad fits from Ohio State safeties he controlled defensive ends in the run game but I find myself writing down the same things I wrote down for DJ Fluker and Greg Robinson Mm. they're big mauling guys when they get their hands on you they're great but anytime they have to react to something or move their feet or hang with a speedy edge rusher they really struggle all right, let's get to the last one, and that's the down-the-road freak show. Who's the guy that's not draft-eligible this year? We talked about a couple of these guys, um, but who is the one that really stands out to you to keep an eye on for down the road? Yeah, we're going to go back to running back Anthony McFarlane Jr. He's a four-star from DeMatha. He's only a redshirt freshman. There's 37 players in the country right now with 1,000 yards rushing. Only four of them are averaging eight yards a carry, and he's one of them. So he's got the home run speed. He had an injury his senior year of high school. It really took him off the recruiting trail. He was considering Penn State, Alabama, Georgia, Miami, all the top-flight running back schools in the country. Pretended to be Marshall Falk as a kid. He really models his game Hmm. after Devontae Freeman, which is some cool, interesting uh, personal anecdotes in his bio from the school. But this kid's got home run speed. He's not a big kid. He's only about 5'9", 202. But the speed and the breakaway uh, home run ability will be intriguing to scouts down the road. Yeah, well, you guys had a great game last week. Where are you heading this week? So this week we're going to head down to Tallahassee for the Florida-Florida State matchup on Rivalry Week. When was the – I mean, it's been at least, what, uh 10 days since you've seen Florida. I mean, it's been a while. I miss him. I miss him already. This will be the fourth time we've seen him this year. We saw him against Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. We're getting a good report. Dan Mullen. I feel like I know Ja'Kai Polite inside and out. So 
I feel like I'm kind of a pseudo gator this year. <laughs> it's it's insane how often uh, you've had the gator so far. Let me ask you one one quick guy <clears throat> that I we haven't really spent too much time talking about. He is an underclassman for them. The right tackle, Jawan Taylor. Do you feel like, like have you gotten any kind of sense now seeing them three times? Uh, is he a guy that you'll be interested to see in this game against Florida State? Absolutely, and he's been holding down the right tackle position this year. And interestingly enough, in their game last year, Jawan Taylor was at left tackle, and Martez Ivy was at left guard. Okay. So Brian Burns didn't see a whole lot of Martez Ivy being off the edge. He saw Jawan Taylor. But this year, you have Martez Ivy playing left tackle, Jawan Taylor playing right tackle. So wherever Brian Burns lines up this week, you should be seeing one of those two. All right, well, you mentioned him. Tell us about Brian Burns. Why should fans be excited about what this guy can bring to the table? Listen, I've seen Nick Bosa this year, Ja'Kai Polite, Montez Sweat, Joe Jackson. Wow, yeah, that's I a good feel like point. Brian Burns is really next on the list of those elite edge rushers to get your eyes on. I haven't seen Clean Farrell, Zach Allen, Josh, Josh Allen, Allen Rashawn, yeah. Rashawn Gary. Still, you've seen a lot, of, a lot of the big ones, yeah. This guy's impressive. He's 6'5", just under 240, about 235 pounds. He's only a junior. He's a five-star DN that everybody in the country wanted. Productive every year. He went from 9.5 tackles for loss to 13.5. He's already up to 15.5 this year. His sacks as a freshman, 8.5. Then 4.5 last year. He's already up to 10 this year productive every year which you always want to see from these edge rushers and I love pass rushers that have plans and you can see the plans formulate in his pass rush and throughout the down he'll mix up his strides his bursts his different tempos with speed to manipulate tackles that's awesome so you're not always just selling the same momentum or the same pass rush path love his footwork his bursts his length he hustles with the ball and plays with the whistle but the variety of moves from pass rushers, especially these long, lanky ones that just want to beat you with speed off the edge, I felt like Leonard Floyd was really limited in his pass rush, pass rush arsenal. They're yeah. very similar players. But when I look at Brian Burns and I see the long arm move, I see the dip, bend, and flattens. I see the inside spins, the outside spins. I see the club rips inside. Just having those variety of moves as a pass rusher is just key to be successful at the next level. Yeah, you and I, I remember you and I sat down. We watched that Florida State D-line, not this past August, but August of 2017. So this was off their 2016 film. Brian Burns was just a true freshman, and he was probably, I mean, he was like 218 or like 220 when he was first playing there. So it was so, so light, and you could see the bend, the flexibility, you know, that first step, the speed in the open field. But he wasn't all the way there yet with everything he was doing. So it's really good to hear that you're seeing this kind of development uh, from this kid because obviously the upside is very, very high. Yeah, and just to see that visual maturation, like you are saying, we watched him right after his freshman year, and now you're just seeing the pass rush repertoire just getting deeper and deeper and his technique being better and his get-off is better and the variety of moves and he's playing the run better and playing to the whistle. He's really just put himself into a – complete prospect for the next level yeah so the reason why we were watching that florida state d-line back in you know that summer of, of 2017 was they had two defensive tackles that were going to be draft eligible you had Derek naughty who's going to be a senior who i was a huge huge fan of not that he necessarily fit here in philadelphia but just a big fan of what he brought to the table and then demarcus christmas who was going to be a junior went back to school is now a senior and you're going to see him live for the first time this year tell us about demarcus christmas yeah i you know i kind of think Christmas should have came out last year with Naughty, Josh Sweat, Derwin James. Big drop-off with talent on the uh, defensive side of the ball this season. So he came back for his senior year. He's a redshirt senior, so it's his fifth year on campus. He's athletic. He's got a quick get-off. He can make some splash plays in the backfield. Kind of reminds me of Malik Collins coming out of Nebraska a couple years ago. I love that comparison. Who's a really uh, athletic defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys at the moment. But Christmas this year, I just think he's getting caught – 
kind of out of place. I'm not sure if he's a three-tech or a one-tech yep. at the next level. I think he has more of a pass rush upside, kind of like a Draymond Jones, who I just saw at Ohio State, mm-hmm. who's kind of a longer body type in the trenches, being 6'4", 6'5". You want him in sub-packages, playing three-tech and getting after the passer. I just question his ability to play the run on a consistent basis on early downs. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree with a lot of the things you said, because I remember watching him with Derek Nottie and thinking, like, man, it's a shame Nottie's there because I feel like he's probably physically more suitable to play nose, but he's got the skill set of a three. Like, I wasn't sure exactly where to see him, and that's kind of how I felt about Malik Collins coming out of Nebraska. That's kind of he's bounced between both spots with Dallas, so I actually I really love the comparison there. Uh, let me ask you about one guy. He has already announced Levante Taylor, the corner from Florida State. Apparently he's been battling injuries most of the year. He has announced that he is going back, or at least – uh, I think Dane Brugler uh, broke it that he is going back. But uh, thoughts on Levante Taylor, what you're expecting to see from him? You know, I'm, I'm kind of glad he's going back because I haven't done a lick of tape study on this kid yet. He's only a junior, so he's on my yep. list. If he was going to declare, I was going to get after him. He was also on my list because he made an appearance on Bruce Feldman's freak list over the sure. summer with some eye-popping uh, off-season workouts, like a 10-10 broad jump, 40-inch vertical, 4-3-40. This kid's an athletic freak. But something wasn't right on Florida State's defense this year. There's something wasn't right with him personally. He has a stress fracture in his back, so he's going to go back for his senior year. And I just hope that whole defensive side of the ball can kind of put it together. Their season has not gone as planned in 2018. One guy that you, know, you and I – I haven't heard you talk about this guy yet. Uh, you know, No one's really talking about this guy. It's a pass rusher in this game. Uh, I'm really interested to get your thoughts on Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. Ja'Kai Polite. I'll have to take a look at him <laughs> if I have time. Uh, you, we've ta- we've spent list. more time, I think you and I have spent <clears> more time talking about Ja'Kai Polite than any other player this season just because of how many times you've done Florida. Yeah, it's going to be our four-time CM. He's an exciting player. He makes the highlight plays. He's an exciting, explosive edge rusher, which you know everyone loves at the next level or at least projecting the next level when you have fans of NFL teams right now and so many of them are coveting that elite pass-rushing menace to get after opposing quarterbacks you know whether you're the New York Jets or the Green Bay Packers right now right now both teams just desperate for an explosive edge rusher coming off the the perimeter to get after quarterbacks yeah you look at Ja'Kai Polite and week in week out he's just terrorizing backfields yeah it's uh, it'll be a good game I'm excited to hear uh, what you think of these guys in person but uh, another matchup this look this is a weekend full of big matchups you have rivalry weekend so uh, you know whether it's Ohio State Michigan we talked about earlier with Tony uh, you go across the entire country and there's just big matchups and, and one big one that I don't think a lot of, it's kind of flying under the radar South Carolina Clemson you know you got that South Carolina offensive line Zach Bailey Dennis Daly at left tackle uh, going up against that Clemson D line you know Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and Cleveland Farrell and Austin Bryant and Albert Huggins. It, it, that'll be a, a very interesting matchup to kind of go back, more so for the South Carolina side than the, than the Clemson side. But, look, anytime you're an ACC school, even one that's obviously as great as Clemson, going up against SEC talent, it's better than going up against you know, Wake Forest or North Carolina or Pitt. Yeah, and I believe that game is down in Clemson. I did this game three years ago, and Clemson beat the brakes off of uh, South Carolina. Yeah. I think it hung a 50-burger on him. That was a huge game for Mike Williams where he put that Jamarcus King corner on his back and spun him around on a mm. slant just all over the yard. I know South Carolina hasn't forgot about that game. They've really kind of turned the corner the past 18 months to two years as a program. So I'm hoping, and they're hoping, to give Clemson a bigger challenge this year. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting game. But uh, I'll dive into that matchup, among others, in this week's Saturday Scouting article, which you can catch on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or on my Twitter feed, at FW3. Ben, we'll be back next week to talk about this game. And then 
Maybe we'll have an idea of where we're heading for bowl season. If not, uh, we'll talk about whatever. Uh, it's probably know, another Florida game. So. Yeah, probably. You'll have Florida against, uh, you know, probably like Mississippi State or somebody. Uh, we'll catch you here next week to talk about what you saw against Florida, Florida State. Again, follow Ben on Twitter at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, this week on Draft Mailbag, we've got one question from Twitter, and that's from Benny Amino Bianco. And, and he, the question is, Fran, feeling a bit deflated after these last two losses for the Eagles, can you ease my pain with some thoughts on college prospects that the Birds can add to make our offensive comp- or to make our offense competitive versus teams like the Rams, Chiefs, and Saints? Well, let's start with who is here. And obviously, you know, you have to start with that and you, you work from there. Obviously, you have your franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz, one of the best in the league. You start there and you that puts you ahead of at least two-thirds of the NFL. Obviously, the team is pretty much set at tight end. You've got Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard. My money, that's the best one-two punch at tight end in the NFL right now. So really, we're talking about receivers and running backs. How do you complement the guys that are already here, right? So at running back, I think Damian Harris from Alabama can be a primary ball carrier for an NFL offense. Maybe he's not dynamic like an Alvin Kamara or Saquon Barkley, but his vision, his competitiveness, his elusiveness, his versatility, they're all impressive. I'm a big fan of the way he plays the game. He's probably going off the board in that late round one, early round two type of range. That's kind of how I I view him at this stage. We'll see how that changes throughout the course of the process, Uh, but that's how I would gauge that right now. Rodney Anderson, the running back from Oklahoma, really impressive talent. You know, there aren't a lot of holes in his game. He's a big back with good vision and instincts. He's more athletic uh, or more than athletic enough, I would say, to be a primary ball carrier. The question with him is just going to be the medical. You know, he ended up uh, three of his four years on campus ended short because of injuries, including this past season. So that's the big question mark there with Rodney Anderson. But the upside is very high as a potential three-down back. Now, if you're looking for that athletic, explosive pass catcher uh, that can you know be moved all around the formation – Look at Bryce Love from Stanford. He's undersized, hasn't been as productive this year as he was a year ago when he was a Heisman finalist, but he's got good vision, he's quick, he's competitive, he's just a little bit undersized. And then you look at wide receiver, and you know we talked about guys like Debo Samuel and Keyshawn Johnson and Demarcus Lodge earlier with Brad Kelly, but how about a guy like Andy Isabella from UMass who's really small, but he's a savvy route runner. He's got speed to work vertically. He could be a factor down the field. Uh, Felton Davis from Michigan State is a big-bodied wide receiver with good ball skills, but he's coming off an Achilles injury from earlier this season. Then you've got Paris Campbell from Ohio State. He's got electric speed. He could be a game-breaking threat in the NFL. There are a bunch of intriguing players in this class now, and it will continue to grow once underclassmen start making their intentions known in the next few weeks. We're going to start getting some of that news here over the course of the next few episodes. So good questions there. Uh, uh, from B- Benny Amino. And if you ever have any questions for the show, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over again to one of our podcast channels. Give us that rating. Leave a question in the comment section. I guarantee you will make it on the show. But uh, with that being said, that'll do it. Another show in the books here for the Journey of the Draft podcast. Great stuff from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel, Brad Kelly, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Journey of the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Nova Care Complex, I'm I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.